regularity. A man who didn't change his ways could take his last breath without even knowing it. The thought made him smile grimly. He pulled the short-sleeved shirt over his head and let it hang outside his shorts. His trainers were scuffed and dirty from climbing the rough crags and jogging along the dusty roads, but after today he'd be wearing more elegant shoes. The money, the other half of the contract, would be waiting for him in Madrid. He moved slowly through the trees, ducking below the branches of the pines, skirting the sharp spines of the undergrowth, and scrambling over the rough ground until he reached the top of the hill. He emerged from the trees to the rough track. The car was a mile and a half away. He checked his watch, began to run, a steady jogging that hardly raised his heartbeat, but one that would bring him to the car in a measured time. Dust pounded up under his feet, and cicadas whirred ahead of him, falling silent as he passed. High above his head a lone eagle soared, wheeling, silent, drifting on the thermals. The car, a small hired Fiat, was parked inconspicuously at the edge of the track. He had deliberately chosen a typical tourist hire car, cheap, numerous on the coast, and paid for with a stolen credit card. He saw no reason to spend more than he had to in this rat-hole of a place, and besides, his presence would be more difficult to trace if he used stolen credit cards to pay his way. He smiled again. It was a weakness, he knew, lifting cards that way, but it gave him pleasure. The rest was business. He unlocked the car and drove down to the town five miles distant. There was little there. A large enough town for the area, it boasted twenty or more restaurants and cafes, a couple of discos, and a long, curving beach. It was a resort used by the Spanish themselves, so it had not been cluttered by high-rise developments, though a number of villas had now been built on the outskirts by foreigners, Dutch, Swiss, German, and a few English. Among them would be more than a few villains, soldier guessed, salting away earnings where the British taxman would find it difficult to trace. But it wasn't his scene. He came from a raw, colder part of the world. Sun and swimming was fine for a while, but he preferred his own haunts and a language he understood. Not that language was a problem. Money was all that was necessary. It was all he needed with the whore. He took a swim in the late afternoon, a light meal at the restaurant on the beach, and then a slow cigar as the sun gleamed on the horizon. Then it was time to get rid of the ache in his loins, the ache that always came before he had a contract to complete. It was like a cleansing, an emptying of all thought other than the one. She had broad hips, dark thighs, as he sprawled in the odorous room above the café. Her skin was greasy, her armpit damp as he entered her, grunting, vicious and urgent. He heard the intake of breath as he hurt her, and it stimulated him. He grasped her hair with his right hand and dragged it sideways, half off the bed. He clamped his left hand over her mouth as he hammered at her, the hard muscles of his stomach knotting, his powerful thighs rigid as she writhed under him. Then the explosion came was gone, and he rolled away, as dissatisfied as ever, as he listened to the harsh, panting, hurt animal sounds she made in the darkness. 
He said nothing. He washed quickly in the hand basin in the corner of the room, dressed, threw us some money, and left. He felt light and clean and deadly. At the rented apartment he changed into black slacks and shirt with dark blue trainers. He locked the apartment door behind him, carried the pistol in the small black bag strapped to his belt. The Fiat took him quickly away from the town. He checked his watch. It was nine o'clock. The villa would be empty. Those security lights would have been left burning. Creatures of habit. The owners would not return until eleven at the earliest. He parked the car in the usual place and began to jog down the track. The moon was high. A crescent that silvered the trees and made the track ahead of him gleam whitely. He was still breathing steadily when he reached the top of the hill and entered the trees. It was easy enough crossing the hill in moonlight. Within minutes he could hear the pounding of the surf, and then he was out on the crag with the villa gleaming below him. He moved on down through the trees, cursing softly as spines caught at his shirt, until he reached the promontory above the villa wall. He grasped the branch of the leaning pine tree and looked down, Moonlight distorted the scene, but he'd watched and measured in his mind's eye, and he was confident. He grabbed at the trunk, eased himself along the swaying branch hand over hand, and then dropped without thinking. He landed on his feet, crashing into the undergrowth, and there was blood on his face as he was scored by sharp needle-like bushes. He paid no attention to it. He hurried through the bushes, across the lawn, and under the lights of the patio to the back of the villa. He reached up to the rehas on the lower window and hauled himself upwards, over the top of the protecting bars, onto the sloping roof of the kitchen. Lightly, he moved across the tiles until he reached the coping of the terrace below the castellated bedroom. He pulled himself up, heaving his upper body across the low wall, and dropped to the broad terrace beyond. The door presented no problems. The rehas that should have protected it could not resist his brute strength. The black-painted wrought-iron work was cemented into the wall, but was a deterrent rather than protection. He placed his feet against the wall, gripped the rehas, and threw his whole weight backwards. The ironwork squealed, bent, then gave way slowly. He pulled the rehas out with a sudden surge. He kicked in the door easily enough. The sound of cracking timber did not bother him, for there was no one to listen. The light above the terrace would possibly reveal the damage, however. He smashed it with a gun butt. Then he entered the bedroom with a gun in his right hand, a small torch in his left. The room was lavishly furnished, but he paid no attention. He moved to the other three rooms. They were all empty, as he had known they would be. Downstairs there was a single light burning in the hallway, but he could dispense with a torch, and there was enough illumination to discover the drinks cabinet. Soldier poured himself a glass of beer and tasted it. He wrinkled his nose in disgust, then sat down, looking around him, sipping the beer with no great enjoyment. Spanish beer was not a patch on Newcastle Brown. He glanced at his watch. They'd be home about eleven. In the hallway a clock chimed, confirming his watch. It was nine-thirty. Time to get to work. It began in the sitting-room, methodically, testing each drawer, checking for the documents. 
and he worked through the rest of the house, downstairs and upstairs. It took him twenty minutes to find the safe. There was no point in trying to crack it. He didn't have the skills anyway. He'd just have to wait. He was used to waiting. Prison did that for a man. The porridge he'd done at Durham had been easy. The screws knew his reputation and left him alone. They didn't give them reason to get rough. He wanted out. He enjoyed life outside, so he did his porridge and kept his mouth shut. He could sit and wait it out. The problem was the ache. It wasn't all that bad for him in prison because there was no action waiting. But outside... He thought of the whore, and his body stirred again. When he had a contract to complete, there was always the ache. It had to be assuaged before he could become the cool, controlled soldier that he'd built his reputation on. The mechanic, who did a clean job, made no mistakes. But the ache, it never changed. Before action, it was always there. Checked his watch. Ten fifteen. Wouldn't be long now. Even as he thought it, he heard a car on the hill. He hefted the gun in his hand, muzzle raised to the ceiling, and moved to the window, screened by the curtain. Light slashed across the hillside, lifting and falling along the track, and Soldier frowned. They were early, but it made no difference to him. He watched as the car came down the hill and crossed the open space. The lights were not killed, as he expected, and the engine was still running. Soldier frowned, grunting softly to himself. There was a short interval, and then the slamming of a car door. Soldier peered past the curtain, parting it slightly with a gun muzzle.